Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Today is a good day. Today is Wednesday the 19th when I'm recording this, and it's a good day because I have finally managed to get my light switch and sinks fixed. That may not sound like a big deal, but the light switch that I needed fixed was down a long hallway, and it had no other light source or no windows, so it was really dark. And for the past month, month and a half, I've just been using my phone flashlight to get ready in the morning because it's like where the bathroom sink is. And it's been working fine. Like, no, you know, I could have much bigger issues than a broken light switch. And then both of my sinks in my apartment were leaking. So it was compiling water into pots and pans. But now the sinks are fixed. The light switch is fixed. I got a package in the mail that I ordered today. I had a practice interview thing, which went well. So life is looking pretty good. And also I'm feeling not sick anymore. I have a tiny bit of a stuffy nose, but I'm just feeling better. So it's all around a good day, week, time to be alive. Thanks for tuning in to Scandal 101. Before I dive in, I just want to remind you quick, if you have your own personal scandal that you want read on the podcast, please send that to scandal101podcast at (laughs) gmail.com. Forgot the email for a second. Um, Some people have sent them in and they're very interesting and I would love to hear more. So if you have them, please send them to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. In terms of scandals in the news I've seen recently, I read this article today that the University of Michigan had finally settled to $490 million because one of their sports doctors apparently abused a bunch of their patients over, I think it was like almost a four decade span that they worked at the school. So they finally settled and hopefully that compensation will be able to help start to provide some closure to his victims. And I think I also read in the article that it was like over a thousand people that this disgusting human impacted. So that is the biggest thing I've seen in the news recently. With that, I think we are just going to dive in. You saw this title when you clicked on it, but this episode is titled Sex, Money, and College Basketball. One thing I said I was going to start doing last episode is I'm going to read the sources at the beginning of the episode, so that way you know right off the bat where all my information comes from. If that doesn't interest you, skip ahead like 15 or 30 seconds. And of course, um, I link the show notes in the description of each episode, but then they're also on the website, which I'm going to plug all that at the end. But here are the sources that I used for this episode. I used an ESPN article by Jay Barr written in 2016, a Heavy.com article written by T. Cleary, a article written by Jay Greer in 2018, a article titled Katina Powell Appears in Court. I used the NCAA website to get their mission, an article by G. Parrish 
for CBS Sports, written in 2022, an article written by M. Payne in 2015 for the Washington Post, an article titled Six Six Things We Learned from Breaking Cardinal Rules in Sports News, and then two Wikipedia pages. Those are my sources, so let's dive into the story. As most people in the United States probably know, sports, especially college sports, are a big deal. College football, college basketball, those are definitely the big two that come to mind when I think about sports. When I was an undergrad, I went to Northwest Missouri State University, which is a Division II school, and the 2000, like late 2000s, early 2010s were prime time for their football team. They, I think they've won six national championships, and I think most of them have been within the past 20 years, so they've definitely had a very successful football program recently. Um, The whole college would rally around them. I was in the marching band, and like the college atmosphere was very supportive of both the marching band and the football team, which was super cool, and the football team cheered us on. So it was just a super cool environment to experience college football in. But every winter, there's the different bowl games, there's, you know, the college recruits go up to the NFL, it's a whole system, and the organization that organizes it all is the NCAA. The NCAA, in case you don't know, stands for the National Collegiate Athletic Association, and from their website, quote, the NCAA is a member-led organization focused on cultivating an environment that emphasizes academics, fairness, and well-being across college sports, end quote. This episode is not going to focus on football, but it's going to focus on basketball, and more specifically on one team. In Louisville, Kentucky, the University of Louisville men's basketball team is called the Cardinals, and they are a pretty well-known team. Just some brief history, their team started in 1911. They have two, kind of three, championship titles to their name, and they often make it pretty far in the tournament and generally are pretty successful most seasons. As of last Friday, they are currently ranked 17th of the top 25 teams in, I believe, their Division 1. So they are number one, number one, they're in, I believe, Division 1, and they are 17th out of the top 25 teams. If you've tuned into this podcast before, you know this is not a sports podcast, but I just wanted to give you a brief background on who this team is to show you that they're successful, that they get pretty far every year, because that background is going to play an important role in what happens next. Another big part of sports, and this isn't just limited to college sports, but a big part of sports, sports teams, building a good team is recruitment. Everyone makes a big deal out of the NFL draft, players being brought to other teams, being transferred, stuff that I don't really get the whole big deal of, but It's a big deal in sports, and for colleges, a big way for them to build up their sports program is to recruit successful high school athletes. It just makes sense. Lots of school offer scholarships, and even though they can't pay students, they often find creative workarounds. Um, They'll get free clothing, free merchandise, random stuff like that, perks that maybe aren't advertised, but students definitely get a lot of those maybe under-the-table perks that not a lot of people hear about. 
Those free things such as merchandise, free clothing, all that stuff is nice, but schools are in fierce competition. They aren't just going to send their number one recruits a lousy t-shirt and say, please come to our school. We hope this t-shirt convinces you. They're going to try to do everything they can to recruit their best players. And recruiting the best players, building up their team, it definitely seemed like that was the start of our story, which takes place at the University of Louisville with their Cardinal basketball team. This story starts in August of 2015. In late that month, August of 2015, people at the University of Louisville are told something interesting. A book was about to be published, and that book was going to allege things that wouldn't look great for their basketball program or for the university. The book was going to allege that their staffer, Andre McGee, quote, paid for strippers and prostitutes to dance for and have sex with U of L players and recruits in the team dormitory Billy Minardi Hall, end quote. Those university leaders were probably thinking, uh, first of all, what? And second of all, uh-oh. <laughs> On October 2nd of 2015, just a few months later, the book titled Breaking Cardinal Rules was released. On the cover, it says, quote, an expose of sexual recruiting tactics from the journal pages of an escort queen, end quote. A brief description from the Amazon listing of the book says, quote, Breaking Cardinal Rules is an expose by escort Katina Powell based on her experiences providing sexual services for the basketball program at the University of Louisville, end quote. The way the book is set up, it's apparently a collection of journal entries made over the years by Katina Powell. The university leaders at this point are probably thinking, double uh-oh. The day that the book comes out, the university says that they're going to look into the allegations and they're going to get to the bottom of it. The head coach at the time, Coach Rick Pitino, says that he had no knowledge of anything that was alleged in the book and neither did, quote, a dozen former assistants or staff members, he asked about it, end quote. So basically, he's like, I don't know anything about this BS. I asked a bunch of people. They don't know a bunch of, they don't know anything about it, but we'll look into it, whatever. Andre McGee's lawyer, and again, McGee is the one who is said to have paid Katina Powell. His lawyer said that, yes, McGee did know Powell, but there is nothing, quote, nefarious or inappropriate, end quote, about their interactions. So let's get to know a little bit more about the people who are involved in the story. We'll first start with Andre McGee. Um, and just going forward, I'm going to refer to University of Louisville as UOL. Andre McGee enrolled at UOL in 2005 and played basketball until he graduated in 2010. During his time uh, on the team, he helped get the team to the Elite Eight during two of his seasons. He eventually went on to serve as a program assistant as well as director of basketball operations, all of this while Rick Pitino was the head coach. McGee served in that role until 2014, when he then moved to become an assistant coach at UMKC, which is University of Missouri, Kansas City. Katina Powell, who was 43 at the time, described herself as a madam and was in the Louisville area. She has three daughters and is said that between 2010 and 2014, she was paid thousands of dollars to provide women to dance for and have sex with cardinal players and recruits. 
All of this was said to have happened, these parties, these events, to take place on campus in the basketball dorm, Minardi Hall. Lastly, let's meet the head coach, Rick Pitino. He had a long coaching career. He served as either the assistant or the head coach at Hawaii, Syracuse, Boston University, the New York Knicks, Providence, Kentucky, Boston Celtics, and then finally at Louisville. He is the only coach to lead three different schools to a Final Four, and in 2013, he was elected to the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. So he definitely has an impressive record. He's built a good career for himself. He is someone who is likely and was likely at the time highly respected in the basketball community. So after this book comes out, it shocks pretty much everyone in the college basketball world. Powell, um, the author of the book, is getting a lot of attention. She's doing interviews and she says to IBJ, which is a business magazine that is produced by the same company that produced her book, she said that she believed that Coach Patino knew about McGee's dealings with her, but nowhere in the book did she claim that she had any contact with Coach Patino. But Coach Patino has said many times, I didn't know anything about this. I don't know what this woman is talking about. I didn't know anything about this. Another thing about this book is that it doesn't just name staff that were alleged to be involved. It names basketball players. One of those players named is Montrezl Harrell, and he told reporters, quote, I don't have anything to do with that, end quote. And it sucks if he didn't, because being named in this book is it's going to be something that is going to probably follow him follow him around for the rest of his life. Of course, U of L is looking into these allegations. Not only are they looking into the allegations, but so is the Commonwealth of Kentucky's attorney, Tom Wine. He said that his office would, quote, vigorously prosecute, end quote, those involved if his office was presented with any evidence that Powell employed her underage daughters. Yes, you heard that right. After the book came out, it was starting to be believed that Powell engaged her underage daughters in these acts because for part of the time when these parties were happening, her daughters were underage. So people were like, hmm, I remember your daughters at these things and your daughters I'm pretty sure were underaged. On October 8th, 2015, six days after the book came out, CBS Sports reported that a freshman at Ohio State named Jaquan Lyle, he was someone who was being recruited for UOL, but he ended up going to Ohio State. He confirmed the gist of Powell's claims in an interview with an NCAA investigator. So this kid who's going to a different college is like, yeah, I don't go there, but when I was being recruited to go there... These things in the book definitely happened. A former UOL star, his name was Terrence Williams. He was named in the book, but he denied the claims. He said that, quote, I am Elvis Presley, so why would I pay for anything, end quote. Which, (laughs) I don't really know what that quote means, but I just wanted to throw it in there because he is named in the book and he denied it, but I thought his quote was interesting. (laughs) So that's that. Pretty quickly after the book was released... Powell and her lawyer denied that Powell's daughters were underaged when they participated in these parties and these things. And not only that, but Powell said that her daughters supported the book and supported her publishing it and telling her story. 
One interview Powell did was with ESPN in a segment called Outside the Lines. Powell shed a little bit more light on what would happen during these parties. She said that, quote, Usually the girls would come out one by one. They would dance for the recruit. Andre McGee was one that had the money he gave. He passed out the money, made it rain, made the deals, pay for the deals. He asked me, is there any girls that would want to make some extra money? Pretty much a side deal with the players. And I was like, I'll ask. So I asked the girls, you know, anybody want to make some extra money? And their eyes lit up like, yeah, end quote. When she was asked about the terms, like if there were any terms that were negotiated, stuff like that, Powell said, quote, I just knew the side deals were sex. Side deals were sex, and if they wanted to make extra money, that's what the side deal was. Sex. End quote. It was said that these sex acts would be done to players, recruits, and even some of the players and recruits' fathers. Some UOL dads were like, I don't take any part in that. And then they like nervously look to their wife and his his wife is just like standing there cross-armed and she's like, hmm, I don't know about that, mister. So yeah. So basically this book is implicating even some of the fathers of the players and recruits. With everybody investigating these claims, Powell was being asked a lot of questions and when asked about what the NCAA was asking her for, she said that the NCAA was mainly focused on where the money was coming from, which makes sense because in theory, college basketball programs aren't supposed to be hiring sex workers and throwing parties to recruit people to their college, so where is this money coming from? Powell's lawyer, who was named Larry Wilder, said that their main focus was on the money because of one simple fact. Andre McGee would not have had enough money by himself to throw these parties with the amount of money being discussed. And the amount of money that was being discussed was Powell claiming that McGee had paid her $10,000 over four years to attend 22 parties. To a head coach of a Division I school, $10,000 probably isn't a lot of money, but to most people, $10,000 is a ton, a ton of money. And everything was pointing to Andre would not have had enough money to throw around like that, so where the heck was this money coming from? Not only did Powell claim that McGee paid her $10,000, but Powell also said that McGee told her that head coach Rick Vitino knew what was going on. However, McGee did say that he didn't tell Powell any of that, and McGee said that Coach Patino didn't know, and Coach Patino the whole time was like, yeah, I didn't know what was going on. But it does, you know, it does pose a question of how good of management skills do you have over your basketball program if you don't know that this is happening. Powell's book gives some more insight into what these parties, what these interactions were like. Powell writes in her book that most of the men that she had sex with, there was no feelings, there were no emotional connection, and that was just part of the job, which like, sure, yeah, makes sense. I mean, if you're a sex worker, you, I would assume, don't get emotionally attached to your clients. You're just there to make your money. And what Powell's job was, it seemed like Powell and McGee were like a team and Powell was kind of like the middle person. What apparently happened was Powell would work with McGee. 
they would agree on a price for dancers and any other services that would be requested. And then Powell would find the dancer or the person, the sex worker who wanted to do whatever was being requested. McGee would pay Powell and then the services would take place. She wrote in her book, which also, like I said, is kind of like a diary style. She wrote, quote, I never questioned exactly where the money came from. I knew he had help because his account could not handle the expenses alone, end quote. So even Powell is like, yeah, there's no way Mickey has all this money. So who knows where it's coming from, but it's definitely not coming from him by himself. In 2011, she wrote, quote, McGee was in control of a lot when it came to the dorm. And again, the dorm is where the things were happening. While they were dancing, Andre would find out which dancer each recruit player wanted to have sex with. Then he would work a side deal with me to negotiate the price, end quote. She also wrote in 2012, quote, My job was to sign them to Louisville by any means. $80, $160 a piece. Everybody was drunk. McGee took care of everything. Yes, the new recruits, a 17-year-old, were drinking Grey Goose, end quote. So clearly, the book was going to be damaging for McGee, and in the book, Powell never said that she dealt with Patino, and she never claimed to, again, just reemphasizing that she is never claiming to have any, any interactions with head coach Rick Patino. However, she did say that she could see Patino through McGee's eyes. Quote, Deep down, McGee was under a lot of pressure from the coaches. He always said his job depended on the kids signing. You could look into his eyes and see the loyalty he had for Patino. To him, he was just doing the job. End quote. So it definitely seems like Powell is of the mindset that, okay, maybe even if I didn't meet uh, head coach Rick Patino, what Andre was doing, what McGee was doing was definitely, if not at the direction of coach Rick Patino, it definitely was from the pressure that McGee was feeling from Patino. So this whole operation is going on, things seem to be going well, so why did why did Powell write a book about it? Apparently what set her over the edge is something that McGee said to her in 2012. He apparently told her that he wanted, quote, clean white girls that are down to fuck, end quote. She then wrote down in her diary after this, quote, I promise I'm waiting on the right time to take these bastards down. I will have made thousands off these explicit and by explicit, she said the N-word, I will have made thousands off of these explicit and plan to make more. I just have to be smart and patient as well. At the right time, when I decide to tell my story, I will tell my story. End quote. <laughs> and clearly, Katina Powell told her story. Former recruits of UOL confirmed that these events took place. One recruit who went on to play at UOL he said that he had had sex with a dancer after McGee paid her. Another recruit who ended up going somewhere else said, quote, I knew they weren't college girls. It was crazy. It was like I was in a strip club, end quote. A source close to the NCAA investigation shed details on how the parties worked. Quote, McGee gave the players a stack of dollar bills ranging from $200 to $500. Everybody in the room got money, the recruits and the current members of the team. Not only that, but McGee himself had his own stack of dollar bills. If this guy's spending $2,000 to $3,000 on a recruiting weekend, where is this money coming from? End quote. 
So the investigations continue, and on February 5th, 2016, the president of UOL announces that the school would self-impose a 2016 postseason ban on the team at the time. When they were announcing this ban, they were ranked number 19 at the time, and they couldn't go on to postseason stuff. Then the UOL and Patino and the NCAA started to kind of get back into a heated back-and-forth match. The NCAA made four major allegations against them, to which they filed responses to. The NCAA replied, and then hearings were going to take place, and eventually the NCAA suspended Patino for the first five games of the next season, but the UOL fought back. In September of 2017, so the next year, it was announced that the FBI was looking into corruption in basketball college recruiting, and one of the college inv- colleges involved, surprise, surprise, was UOL. Just a month later after this announcement, Coach Patino is fired, and UOL's athletic director, Tom Jurek, was also fired. And I have no way of knowing if this decision to fire Rick Patino was because of the FBI investigation's announcement, but it is interesting to note that a month before Rick Pitino was fired, the FBI did make that announcement. After hearings and appeals, it was determined that an earlier decision made by the NCAA had to stand. What was that decision? We didn't talk about it. It was determined that Louisville, the Cardinal basketball team, they had to vacate 123 wins, including their 2013 championship title and their 2012 Final Four appearance. And that's why at the beginning I was like, yeah, the team has two kind of three championship names, their titles, because even though they did win in 2013, the NCAA made them vacate that victory because of all of these things that were going on. In terms of the people who were involved, where are they now? Rick uh, Pitino, the head coach, he was fired in 2017, and in March of 2020, he was named head coach of Iona College, which is in New Rochelle, New York, I believe is how you pronounce it, and it is an NCAA, NCAA Division I school. The last update I could find about Andre McGee is that when they were doing that outside of the line report that I talked about with Katina Powell, they found him in Kansas City and in 2016 he was driving for Uber and that is the last thing that I could find about him. So Rick Pitino, he's coaching. Andre McGee, as of 2016, was driving for Uber in Kansas City. And Katina Powell, let's talk about her. She wrote the book, it was published in 2015, and unfortunately it seems like she has not fared well for herself since then. In 2019, she tested positive for using crack cocaine and was kicked out of a drug addiction treatment program. In May of 2020, she was sentenced to at-home incarceration on charges of theft and a probation violation, and she was arrested in September of 2021 for evading police as well as possessing drug paraphernalia. And then in December of this past year, 2021, she was arrested for stealing more than $800 worth of items from a Kroger, which I've been to a Kroger. I'm impressed that someone was able to get over $800 worth of stuff into a cart and attempt to steal it. (laughs) Not encouraging by any means stealing. I also don't know what she stole, but $800 from a Kroger, that's a lot of things to steal. 
And that is the last update I could find about Katina Powell was that she was arrested for stealing more than $800 worth of items from a Kroger. And with that update on our three main characters, that concludes sex, money, and college basketball. Here are my thoughts about it. One, it was completely, completely inappropriate that this college basketball recruiting system allowed for 17, 18-year-old high school boys. Because remember, yes, even though the teams were there during this, um, these parties, these whatever you want to call them, the recruits were 17, 18-year-old high school boys. And when I think about what I was like as a high school senior, high school junior, I don't even know how I would, how I would react in a situation where I'm given alcohol, where I'm given money, and it's like, all right, go pay someone to have sex with if you want or pay for a strip, you know, stripper or lap dance or whatever. I can't imagine how I would have reacted to that at 18 years old. I probably would have been like, yeah, I don't really know about that. Like, I'm not a very touchy-feely person. So yeah, I don't know. Regardless, it's ridiculous that this basketball program allowed for 17 and 18 year olds to experience that, especially as a way of like, hey, you should come to our school because we'll give you money to have sex with women. Like, what? And then also, as far as I could tell, it doesn't seem like there was really any connection with Rick Pitino and the with anything to do with the parties. And that may be true. But I guess if that is true, I would just question how well he is able to manage a basketball program if that is going on. If it was hidden from him, maybe Andre McGee had good ways of hiding it, but I would think that if there were these big parties happening in your basketball dorm on campus, and these parties involve alcohol, sex workers, stripping, and the new recruits, I would think that as a head coach, you would know that that's going on. And also, as a head coach, wouldn't you think that you would go to these recruiting parties? Like, Maybe you don't want to stay and, you know, party with these new recruits. But I would think as a head coach, I would want to go and like check it out to see what it's like. And maybe he did. Maybe they hit it. I don't know. But it just seems it seems shocking to me that as a head coach of a basketball program, especially one of that size and that reputation, you wouldn't know that that's going on. But that's my opinion. Again, I'm not accusing Rick Pitino of that he knew or that he was involved. But it's just to me, it's hard for me to believe that he didn't know with the fact that these parties were happening on campus, they were happening with recruits, and it involved a lot of money. Okay, on that note, that concludes that, and I am going to read a personal scandal that was sent in, and it's kind of like a true crime one also, which I love, so please send those in. I am going to read this one. A college professor was found dead on campus outside the building where his office was located, his coat and briefcase in his office, shot in the back of the neck, and a handgun found in a nearby dumpster. The police ruled it a suicide and closed the case. Then people just kind of forgot about it. His husband couldn't even collect life insurance due to it being ruled a suicide. Most people around town didn't believe it for a minute. But no one could do anything, and everyone moved on. First of all, thank you so much for sending that in, but that's insane that someone 
through that the police ruled it a suicide that someone was shot in the back of the neck and then the dumpster or there was a the gun found in a dumpster nearby like were the police thinking that he lined the gun up uh, to the back of his neck shot it and then it like ricocheted into the dumpster or someone saw the body and was like well i guess i'll just put this gun in a dumpster over here because this person just killed himself like (laughs) how could someone i mean i guess you could shoot yourself in the back of the neck but why would anyone do that and then how would the even if they did even if that's true how would the gun end up in the dumpster that doesn't make sense I, there are no details about where this was or whose name was the victim of the shooting. But to me, it definitely doesn't seem like it was a suicide. It definitely seems like it was a murder that was maybe covered up, my opinion. But that should probably be looked into a little more. Alrighty. Thank you so much for listening to the person who sent in that personal scandal. Thank you so much. If you would like to keep up with the latest, please stay in touch on social media. I'm going to post pictures really uh, relating to this case on Instagram at Scandal101Podcast, on Twitter at Scandal101Pod, on Facebook, Scandal101Podcast. If you search that, you'll find us there. The website where you can find Uh, the show note document which again is also linked in the show note or is like in the description of the episode that website is scandal101podcast.podbean.com and then once again if you want your personal scandal read on the podcast please email that to scandal101podcast at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in i hope you are having a good friday or whenever you're listening to this episode i am going to go home and enjoy my new light switch and enjoy the fact that my sinks do not link it link leak whoa there we go my sinks do not leak anymore thank you so much for tuning in this has been episode 36 of scandal 101